Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Animal Therapies Limited. Like many new teaching graduates, Sarah McDonald started her career full of promise and hope for the potential impact she could have on a child's life. But she soon realised that a great curriculum and a supportive environment were not enough. Children who weren't in the right headspace and who were battling mental health issues were just not open to learning. After a break from teaching and a spell as a dog trainer, Sarah realised that the two were not incompatible. Using dogs as a metaphor for learning has morphed into a satisfying new career. This is Sarah's story. Sarah, welcome to Pause for Thought today. Thanks for having me on, Candy. Sarah, you run a company called Canine Comprehension in Victoria, where you bring therapy dogs into schools to help children who are struggling to learn. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, tell us briefly about your backstory and why you started the organisation. Yeah, so, you know, going back, I started my educational journey doing an arts degree in history and politics, and anyone who's done an arts degree realises that what you do after an arts degree has a big question mark over it. So I then moved into education, did a Master's of Education, and was really focused on curriculum and writing interesting. My background was history and um, and English, so writing really good curriculum so you could get the kids involved. I'm passionate about Shakespeare, get them really involved in Macbeth. And But then when I went into the classroom and I became a teacher and I was at, you know, some lovely schools, really supportive schools, great kids, but I found that it wasn't great curriculum that was the only thing that was stopping my kids from learning. It was mental health issues, anxiety, uh, their own personal struggles outside of the classroom. And I realised that if they can't learn, no matter what I'm doing with the curriculum, if other things are going on in their life, we have to address that, even if we're in schools and we are curriculum developers. I actually took a break from teaching and I became a dog trainer for a while. I know that's a very strange U-turn that my family were mortified. I could have just said that I was joining the circus, really. But I became a dog trainer because I had this Ridgeback Doberman Mini who was actually ends up becoming my first therapy dog. And she was very, as as my pet, first of all, she was very fearful, a little bit moving towards the aggressive side. Um, So I picked up dog training to help her and then I took a break from teaching to learn more and more about how dogs learn. And what I come to understand is all of us mammals have trouble learning when we're scared, when we're distracted, when there's other things going on. The the same issues I was having with dogs that, you know, you get your distracted lab and and those sort of things. They can't learn unless their needs are being met first. So my mind started ticking and I sort of started combining the two and looking at using the dog as as a metaphor for our own learning process and where we can go wrong and where we're not motivated and then started developing curriculum based on that idea. And that's really where canine comprehension was born. So what's the basic philosophy of canine comprehension and, and what are your overall objectives? We meet the student wherever they are, and we work on their needs where they need to be. So we work either in schools with animal-assisted education models, and we also work in homes doing one-on-one work with kids on NDIS support as well as residential care kids with our animal-assisted learning model. 
And so it really is making sure that the kids are feeling supported, heard, relaxed, so they're ready to learn. So it's a lot of learning preparation that we're doing. And how do those services differ when you offer them inside the school as opposed to outside the school? They are two completely different models. Inside the school, we have programs that we can offer the school with groups of up to 10 kids doing an eight-week program, usually 50 minutes once a week for eight weeks, and we run through a curriculum program. So one of our biggest sellers is communication on the inside and out. And it's talking about not only what we say to others and how it's read and interpreted or misinterpreted, but how, but what we say to ourselves and the idea of self-talk and intrinsic motivation and those things. So what the kids do in that program is they learn about dog body language, they learn about dog motivation, they learn about distraction, they do a little bit of training and a little bit of agility and and putting them through sort of obstacle courses. So by the end of the eight weeks, this group of 10 kids have encouraged and motivated a dog to jump through a hoop, follow them through some sort of obstacle. And through that, we have opportunities to talk about when the dog is unsure and what we do and what kids do in class when they're unsure, what they can do, when the dog wants a brain break and what the kids should do when they need a brain break. So we align the dog's learning with what the kids should be learning. So it's it's very much a focus on motivation. At the moment, I think I have about 11 mentors that work with me. So they're dog-assisted educators and they are the ones who have their dogs and go into schools. So they follow the curriculum. When it comes to the individual learning, we ask the parents or the guardians to give us four learning goals. Often they're in line with their NDIS learning goals And then we work once a week with them. And I've written a huge pedagogy book on all of these exercises they can do. And so they'll do different exercises aimed at the learning goals that they have in mind. And once they've got close to achieving it or they've moved through, then we can change those learning goals up as well. So based on what you're saying, it seems like you're indicating that motivations and incentives for dogs and maybe animals are very similar to humans. We can take a cue from a dog and apply those lessons learned to relating to other humans or learning new things. Absolutely. Um, There are a lot of similarities. We have dogs around our life because they make us happy. They want to please and they want to make us happy. And so that intrinsic um, reciprocal relationship is a motivator on both sides. And I might pay my dog a schmacko to sit, but if I also ask my dog to sit and then I release him and give him a load of cuddles and make him really happy, he's actually more excited from that than the dog treat, which is a really interesting observation for the kids. They go home and remember this stuff because they got to work with a dog in school. So I've spoken to parents after and, you know, that they'll talk about the skills that we've delivered based around the exercises I've done with the dogs and motivation is a really good example. And we know that, I mean, Australian households have a fairly high rate of pet ownership, don't they? It's more than 60%. So can I assume that many of these children are going home and relating to their dog a little bit differently? Yeah, I'd like to hope so. It's, it is interesting that with the individual work, with the animal-assisted learning um, stuff, for safety reasons, for risk assessment, 
But if we're working in somebody's home, we don't work with their dog. Their dog's not trained in this. So we ask for the dog to hang out in the back garden or, you know, that sort of thing. But then the next week, our mentors will come in and the kid will say, oh, you know how I got the dog, you know, the therapy dog to, to work. Then I got my dog to do that too. So it definitely gives them that practice. But what I really love is um, the kids who don't have a dog but are trying it with their other pets. So we also do a lot of mindfulness work. So we could do active mindfulness, um, like taking the dog for a walk and observing the dog, massaging the dog and, and watching their breath slow down. And, of course, if they've got a dog, they can go and practice it at home. But there's kids that have told me that they've done it with their guinea pig or done it with their cat. <laughs> so it's really lovely. that. And I always say to kids, look, you know, you can always do that, like that that idea of just sitting and watching and taking in. You can, you can sit down in the back garden with a tree. You know, you don't have to have a pet. But if you've got your pet guinea pig or your chickens at home, you can do that with those guys too. So it is lovely when it transfers over. Yeah, that's great. Now, on your website, you mentioned the connection between mental health and learning. Mental health issues such as stress, anxiety and depression appear to be on the rise with children. Why is that so? Starting off, I am an educator, so I dabble in mental health because I need to. And I think a lot of teachers would say this, that you know, mental health issues, they've had to become worded up. I think there's two things that's happening here. We do have a larger and a stronger emotional vocabularies, but also every generation says this beforehand, but it is a busy lifestyle. You have two lives that you're living as a child at the moment. You have your online life and you have your offline life. And then unfortunately, in the last couple of years, we threw COVID into that, which disrupted both lives in very different ways. And this has caused people dealing with it with different ways, with anxiety, with depression. School refusal has been on the rise. You know, we had all the kids not going to schools. I'm from Victoria, so I was very aware of this, obviously. And now we're asking them to go back. And at first, I think they were very excited to go back. But now we're seeing that drop off again and mental health really being an issue that is stopping them from getting the education that they need and deserve. I mean, I guess some of those students perhaps who are being bullied or cyberbullied or, you know, in a physical way, they're the ones that may be reluctant to go back to school. But can you just discuss the physiological and emotional changes that happen when a child reacts with a dog and how that helps with their learning? Yeah, absolutely. So us as humans mirror other humans, but we also actually mirror our domesticated animals as well. So if I walk into a room and I'm really high energy and I'm, you know, like those people who are just really dynamic, um, all those people who are real downer and then the room just comes down. So, so that mirroring that happens, that also happens with our domesticated animals. So when a dog comes into a room and they're happy to see everyone and they walk in and um, and our dogs do, our dogs know their job now. So they walk in going, yes, I'm the superstar. Isn't school the best place ever? They almost strut in. And so it elevates the kid's mood. It makes them interested. And also a lot of our kids have had, I don't mean traumatic experience with adults, but they've had a lot of adults trying to razz them up before, you know, we're like they've, they've, they've tried everything, these teachers. And so having a dog is a lot less confronting. So they have a dog that can mirror these emotions. And so what we see is when we have kids that are really apathetic, we can use the dog 
to bring them up and to up that energy. And I find that we work from kinder to 12. So I find that sometimes with our year, you know, nine, tens, elevens, you know, they're a bit tired and over it. But then on the other side, um, when we have really anxious kids, we can ask our dog to come in. And when we ask our dogs to lie down on their mat, they know that's their resting spot. And so they'll lie down and after a while they will audibly go, you'll just see them go, well, I'm here for a while, you know, and that relaxed atmosphere, you see the kids start to mirror that. And it's hard for us going in because we don't know the kids as well as the teachers. I I, I tell you how we measure it often is we will have teachers in the back watching what we're doing and just amazed that these kids are reacting and that they're having these these experiences. And we often get teachers sobbing in the background because there's kids that haven't haven't spoken for a while or haven't interacted with anyone or have really been very closed off because they're protecting themselves and introducing the dog and then building a relationship with the dog. I've said I've been a teacher with a dog and I've been a teacher without a dog and and with a dog changes this stuff dramatically. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, dogs are so intuitive, as we know. Without identifying the children, can you just discuss some specific success stories in your program? Because I'm sure a lot of parents listening to this would be interested to know what sort of results you achieve and over what time frame. Yeah, yeah. Look, I can talk about... um, groups of kids that we've had. So our school programs, for instance, when we talk to a school and we're doing an induction with the school, we'll say, look, we want 10 students that basically don't want to be there. You know, that's what we're working with. And so a lot of the times these kids, when they get together, don't know each other or don't know each other well, or they don't know anyone well because they're very closed off. So they're not sharing anything. Um, And I know that there was recently a mentor was talking to me about a group of kids she was working with and they made a lunchtime club and they they started organising this lunchtime club and it was a pets club and for you to come in and talk about your pets. And it was run by these kids who wouldn't say boo to a goose or a dog um, at the start of the program. And then they were school leaders of this club and they really took ownership of it and started helping other kids in this own program that they did. So, you know, them then having that leadership and that option for other kids to look up to them was really lovely to see them step into those leadership roles. We've also had individual kids who are working very hard to try to live a, you know, a semi-normal life with OCD, ADD, PTSD, all, say all the Ds. We, you know, there, there was a kid recently that was going through a lot um, and he wasn't at school. And when he was at school, it was very dramatic for the whole school. There was a lot of, a lot of shutdowns and those sort of things. So we would come in and start with just distraction. Instead of making everybody's life difficult, come over here and work with the dog. But then we started teaching him tricks with the dog and he then wanted to go back into the classroom and instead of being the kid who was seen by the rest of the group as the distractor, as, you know, the loud one, the difficult, all of those negative labels, he was the kid, he was the superstar, he was the kid who knew how to show this, show the kids how the dog could do a spin or how the dogs could jump up and So the kids were asking him questions and it allowed him to play a very different role to his classmates than he had done before. And it really set him on a different path. 
That's what we like to hear. We often do little presentations when the kids are ready because we see just how powerful it can be. And I suppose that there seem to be a lot more neurodiverse children, whether or not there always has been, but, you know, we have uh, got that recognition now. And animals, dogs in particular, are so good, aren't they, in reading the body language and the signs? Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of neurodiverse kids are refusing to work with so many wonderful practitioners. The, the only thing that's holding them back is that they're human. And so these kids are closing the door even before an expert can have a word, but they want to reach out to the dog. They want to have fun with the dog. And we often say that we just, as the humans, as the facilitators, we sort of just try to come along for the ride. And, yeah, because the dogs don't have the same expectations. You know, they're in the moment and it's mostly based on on happiness and a reciprocal fun and respect. That's great. Now, we don't have time today to discuss it in depth, but you also run programs where you take therapy dogs into workplaces, don't you? And and what are the objectives there? Yeah, it's funny that we started that off because I was never interested in before. I'm like, I'm I'm an educator. I'm in the schools. But we started sneaking into staff rooms. So the objective there was to support those who were supporting the young people and that they needed it as well. So we now run, um, we call them pattern chats, and we just have this time where the adults can can come in and um, and talk about what's going on and just have an opportunity to have a play with the dog or we walk the dog around the oval. Others have started reaching out to us about like groups who work with people in homelessness or firefighters and ambulance and, and those groups that really just need just a smiley, happy, waggy tail. And we can't say no to these people. So we go and we do that work as well. But it's a lot more about enjoyment, positive, you know, getting those endorphins going and getting a smile on the adults' faces as well. Now, you were one of the first adopters, if you like, um, leading the field in animal-assisted learning in, in Australia. Do you have plans to expand beyond Victoria? Yeah, we've been doing this for like 10 years now. And and we have great protocols. We have great curriculum. We've got great booklets. We've got everything that could be expanded. So it's definitely something that I'm thinking about. I'm starting to creep in because we just keep getting asked the question, like, like when is this going to be an opportunity in other states? And we love what we do and, and we do want to reach all the kids we can to, you know, make a difference and get them back in school and get them happy. Yeah, no, that's great. So if people want to find out more about you, where can they access more information? Yeah, our website is a great place to go. So that's canine and spell, I'm an English teacher, so spell it properly, C-A-N-I-N-E, comprehension.com.au. We also have a Facebook page with the same spelling and a LinkedIn as well as Instagram. Yeah, check us out on, on the socials and on our website. Right. Thanks, Sarah. And I've got to congratulate you on the name of your company because I think it ties in the animals and the education so well. Very clever. Full marks. Thank you. And I love a good alliteration. (laughs) Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on Pause for Thought today. It was wonderful talking to you, Candy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. (music) 